Hi, summertime is the perfect time for us to repost or republish some of our fan favorites. On the menu today, Sex Talk. Check out our podcast from last year, season one, and it's called Menopause and Sex. Like many of us right now, it's hot. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Ageless Glamour Girls podcast. I'm your host, Marquita Curtis-Haynes. I'm CEO and founder of the lifestyle brand, Ageless Glamour Girls, where we talk all things aging on this beautiful and sometimes challenging, okay, oftentimes challenging, but fascinating journey. And nothing is off limits. We have a great show for you today. Um, On one hand, menopause. On another hand, sex. There's the clash. There's the clash. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And do we have an expert for you? Our very special guest speaks fluid menopause and sexual health. She's Dr. Stephanie S. Fabian. She's medical director of the North American Menopause Society, or NAMS. She's also professor and chair of the Department of Medicine at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. And of course, her research, as I just mentioned, it covers menopause and sexual health in women. It's going to be good. Thank you so much. Welcome, Dr. Fabian. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. And let's talk about that clash, right? Ooh. Ooh, yeah, it's not pretty, but, but, okay. All right, let's, I'm going to back up just for a basic, just for a quick um, second and talk about the basics. Perimenopause versus menopause versus postmenopause. When did he start? When did he begin? How do you know the difference? And I feel like I've been in menopause forever. When I'm, when I think I'm done with hot flashes, all of a sudden they creep back up. I'm like, what gives? Great questions. Uh, So first of all, some definitions. Perimenopause is that time leading up to the last menstrual period. And so it can last for years. And some women have changes during that time in cycle length. Their periods might get closer together or further apart. They may have hot flashes. They may have night sweats. They may have some of the symptoms that are common in the menopause transition. But you're not officially menopausal until you've had no period for one year. So that means you're actually in menopause the day you have your last period, right? The day Mm -hmm. after it ends, but Mm -hmm. you don't know that you're there until it's been a year. So that's the kind of tricky part to the whole thing. So, so menopause is the time after that. It's also known as postmenopause. So those are interchangeably uh, referred to postmenopause. And you said you're still in it. That's right. Women Mm -hmm. spend about up to one third of their, you're even closer to one half of their lifespans um, after menopause. So we're in menopause. So, (laughs) so yeah, it can last a long time. That doesn't mean that women are having symptoms all of that time. Mm -hmm. Um, most women do not have symptoms Mm -hmm. for that whole time, but some women do. And of course, different things will, will, will change the timing. Say, for example, if you, if you battle cervical cancer, you you have to have early uh, hysterectomy. Well, a hysterectomy does not define menopause. That is an actual, that's a very good point to make. Um, So having your uterus out means your period stop, but it doesn't mean you've gone through menopause. You only go through menopause from a surgical standpoint if they've taken your ovaries out. Mm -hmm. So you can have your uterus out, but still have your ovaries and you're not menopausal, even though you're not having periods. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good point. Good point. All right. We know that menopause can bring 
on a litany of issues, hot flashes, incontinence, sleeplessness, weight gain, middle-age spread. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. And of course, issues with the vajayjay. Um, thank you, Oprah, for pointing that phrase. But we're talking about the vagina. Um, and that's the, the bulk of our discussion today. But for, you know, you've been, you've been in this for a while. What are the top three challenges that you've heard or, you know, from women uh, in menopause? Uh, I, well, hot flashes and night sweats are one of the most common symptoms. So about 75 to 80% of women are going to have them. And we used to tell women that they would only last a year or two. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal, but we now know that hot flashes last a mean of seven to nine years and for a third of women up to a decade or more. So, so these are not short lasting symptoms for the most part. Now, now some women literally stop their periods and never have a symptom. Uh, so it's a bell curve. Some women have nothing. Some women have, I have women in, my, in their seventies saying, dear God, when it's gonna stop uh, or when is it going to stop? And then most women are somewhere in the middle there. Mm -hmm. So hot, hot flashes and night sweats probably one of the most common. Um, also mood symptoms, incredibly bothersome to women. <laughs> yes, so, I'm not laughing, but yeah, I, I felt like I was a different person. I'm like, who is this person? Absolutely. Sure I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> so it's that irritability um, that a lot of women describe, uh, some anxiety symptoms. Those are the most common and, and really um, terribly bothersome to women. So probably even more so than the hot flashes and the night sweats, actually. Mm. And then I'll mention the weight gain, although it is not directly related to menopause. It's mm -hmm. more related to aging than it is to menopause. Mm -hmm. Um, but women experience about 1.7 pounds per year of weight mm -hmm. gain during midlife. And mm -hmm. uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, when we're aging, our metabolism slows a little bit, but two, mm -hmm. we're also losing a little bit of muscle mass every year mm -hmm. and muscle burns a lot of calories. Mm -hmm. But what happens with the weight with menopause is it tends to redistribute to the midsection. Mm. And so although menopause is not associated with a change in the scale per se, but all mm -hmm. by itself, mm -hmm. um, it, you, you will find that, that you tend to put on weight in the midsection preferentially, which is incredibly annoying to most women too. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so that's a nasty little combination. So I would say those are the top three, the hot flashes, the night sweats, the mood symptoms, and then women are really bothered by weight gain too. Okay, that's interesting you said that because um, you know, the weight gain with menopause, you know, go go, you know, goes hand in hand. When I was listing the issues, I forgot to mention brain fog. Oh my. I, you know, yeah. you come up with names like I'm going into the room to get the thingamajig, or you walk into a room and you just stop because it's like, why am I here? Right. That's so there's probably a number of things contributing to that. And and you have to remember that there are a couple of other issues that can be factoring in, meaning one, you're not sleeping at night. So if you're not sleeping in at night, you wake up tired, you're going to have more trouble remembering your own name, let alone the name of anything else. Right. So that's one um, mood disturbances can also contribute to that feeling of not having a memory like it was before. Mm -hmm. um, but, but aside from those, the menopause transition in and of itself is associated with some verbal memory changes, mm -hmm. right. During, mm -hmm. right. During the transition mm -hmm. and uh, the study of women's health across the nation, the Swan study showed us that those changes largely get better after the menopause transition which is very reassuring. However, oh. pa Pauline Mackey and her group um, out of Chicago just did some nice work on uh, looking at women that are more at risk. So of uh, lower socioeconomic status or mm -hmm. have financial strain or lower mm -hmm. education or have 
some medical conditions, including HIV. And those women did not necessarily rebound after the menopause transition in terms of their memory. So, so it may be that women at risk, women who are more, more vulnerable, Mm -hmm. um, may be at risk for those memory changes lasting longer. What we don't know yet is whether or not those memory changes in menopause predict people who might be at risk for dementia later. We're just, we Mm. don't have that data yet. Okay. And I know that you, you and your group, you're on it because I know that you are doing all of that research. Uh, across a lot of areas. Um, Thank you for all that information. And getting back to the nitty gritty, um, sex in menopause and the issues that uh, it can cause, menopause can cause um, in our sex lives. I want to point out first, before I get into that discussion, I ran across a poll from the University of Michigan on healthy aging, and it surveyed more than 1,200 U.S. women, I know you know about about this, um, aged 50 to 80, Um, And it showed that many older women have sex lives, but menopause can interfere. And like, you know, of course, chronic health issues also impact your your sex life. But overall, like 43% said they were sexually active, be that intercourse, foreplay, or caressing, or masturbation. Um, But more than, this is the last figure, more than one quarter of women said menopause symptoms were interfering with their sex lives, including one third of those women between the ages of 50 to 64. And, you know, and of course, you know, there could be a lot of issues that, you know, you know, I'm sure a lot of issues play, you know, into that. But I ask you, what is going on there? How does menopause impact our sex lives? Yeah, great question. So, so when you think about what's happening in menopause, we are losing estrogen. So our ovaries have stopped producing the estrogen that we had during our reproductive lives that made us made it possible for us to have babies. So that loss of estrogen um, also creates some problems in the genitourinary tract. And specifically, it can cause vaginal dryness, uh, less lubrication, the tissues just get a lot thinner and less elastic. Um, so, so that creates some issues in terms of uh, vaginal dryness and irritation just sitting, but sex can also be a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it can cause dryness with sex and even some women have pain. Um, yeah. But also with the loss of hormones, there does seem to be a change in sex drive or sexual desire mm-hmm. um, across the menopause transition. Sometimes that it gets a little murky when someone's also having dryness and pain in the vagina um, in that who's going to have sexual desire if sex is it, painful. Exactly. So so th- those two things are really tied together. Um, mm-hmm. And what they found out is that giving estrogen back and especially giving estrogen into the vagina to reverse those changes mm-hmm. um, can really help with, with uh, women's sexual lives, but it's mainly by helping with vaginal dryness. So mm-hmm. it's not going to do a whole lot to improve sex drive unless the sex drive issue was driven by the, the painful sex. Got it. Got it. I'm glad you tied those two together because I was going to ask about that, the, the you know, the right. libido um, issues. Um, later. But let me so, say one thing, though. The mm-hmm. good news here is that women who had a he- healthy sex life before menopause are very mm-hmm. likely to continue to have a healthy sex life afterwards. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do with the importance um, 
with which women hold sexual activity. So if, if they believe it to be important to their relationships, mm -hmm. um, it, it tends to be higher up on the list and, and women prioritize it more. And, uh, and those are the women that tend to have healthy sex lives going forward. It also depends on the presence of a partner, right? Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. if you lose your partner during that time, that's that's one of the key factors in whether or not women are remaining sexually active. Mm -hmm. The others are the lack of depression, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, a depressed mood has a significant um, relationship to whether or not women remain sexual or not. So mm -hmm. the presence of the of a partner, the mm -hmm. lack of depression, and the general importance to which women hold sexual activity, those are those are key factors. Other things like you mentioned, like um, chronic diseases and that sort of thing can play a role. But, you know, for me as a physician, I, I think it's my job and my my fellow physicians jobs to to make sure that those chronic diseases that are inevitable that we all get don't mm -hmm. get in the way of our sex lives, because our sex lives are part of what keeps us healthy and keeps us going. Mm, I like that. I like that. So let's talk. You mentioned a couple of things. Let's talk solutions. Um, you know, you know, you know, as far as lubrication, solutions and lubricants. Um, you know, if you have heard, if you want to go the all natural route, you can go. You know, coconut oil. Of course, otherwise there are a lot of over the counter lubricants on the market. Um, do they work? And what is what else is available? Of course, we know there are oral drugs um, also available. Can you talk about uh, all of those issues? Sure. Let's uh, let's first talk about lubricants and moisturizers 101, right? So lubricant is something that you're going to use for sexual activity. Uh, a moisturizer is something that you're going to use on a regular basis to maintain moisture in the vagina. So two different things. Um, mm -hmm. So think of uh, a moisturizer is like face cream for the vagina. Mm -hmm. Use it on a regular basis. You get out of the shower, you put lotion on your body, use a vaginal moisturizer too, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, a lubricant uh, is something you use for sexual activity specifically. It can be water-based, it can be silicone-based, or it can be oil-based. And like you um, re referred to, you can use a, a natural oil. Those tend to stain things mm -hmm. um, and they may be irritating to some women and they have been associated with more vaginal infections. Um, oh. So so we tend to recommend either a water-based or a silicone-based. You also can't use an oil-based lubricant um, with condoms. So I, right. mm -hmm. you know, so because they can disrupt the integrity of a condom. So, so keep in mind that we may not need condoms for protection against pregnancy, but postmenopausal women still need protection against sexually transmitted infections. And so that's why condom integrity can still be important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So lubricant first you start with the moisturizer like i said just not just the way you moisturize your yep. face you yep. use it on a daily basis and then when you decide to have sex when you're having it of course then that's when you put the lubricant and either a water-based or a silicone base you can apply it to yourself or to your partner either way works um silicone is a lot slipperier uh you may not need to reapply it as often as a water-based lubricant um and a little bit of caution uh if your partner is male and has erectile dysfunction it can really be too slippery to maintain uh enough friction for an erection so so that can be a downside if your partner has erectile dysfunction Oh, also, okay. something to note is if you're using a silicone coated vibrator, you don't want a silicone lubricant. So silicone on silicone may ruin your vibrator. So use a water-based uh, lubricant for a vibrator. 
I love it. You are full of so much great information. I love that. And you just mentioned partners. Why is it important to you to share all of this information with your partner? You can't be shameful. It's very important. And, and you know, your partner, whether male or female or non-binary, is still aging too. So, so uh, they, they may have issues with sexual function as well. And, and openly communicating with about these things is really important. And, and especially, I mean, if the partners feel sex is an important part of their lives, they're, they probably or hopefully will be open to communicating about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Um, now, we know that, you know, whether you have a regular partner, you're in marriage, long, long, you know, long, um, a uh, committed relationship or whatever. As you get older, you, I was reading this article and it was talking about how you really have to be careful when you get, when you're older um, and for, for when you're having sex to protect yourself against STDs, because it gets trickier as you get older, if you get one, and it's, you know, in, in general. And it, I think you're, are you more vulnerable to getting them when you get older? Well, I wouldn't say you're more vulnerable, but they are common. And, you know, there, there has been a rise in sexually transmitted infections in midlife and beyond uh, men and women. And so mm-hmm. the point is, you're still at risk. Um, and there is some uh, evidence that the thinning of the vagina that happens may make mm-hmm. it easier for you to actually get a sexually transmitted infection. Mm-hmm. So protecting right. yourself against that is is really important. And everything from hepatitis C to syphilis to, you know, gonorrhea and chlamydia. I mean, we, we can still get those when we get older. So um, and HIV, obviously. So um, still important to protect yourself. Oh, good information. Great information. Would you say that sex is an integral part of relationship, of course, even as you get older? You know, studies have shown that that people remain sexual until they die. So even in situations of hospice, palliative care, um, end of life, uh, nursing home situations. So so people are sexual beings um, and, and they remain sexual until they die. So uh, so sex is an important part of relationships and uh, studies have tied it to quality of life and general health um, and certainly the health of the relationship. So yes, it's important. Now, having said that, if, if couples are challenged with one health condition for, for one partner or both partners, and, and they're happy doing other things. Sex looks different when we get older and sex mm-hmm. may not necessarily be penis and vagina, right? Mm-hmm. It may mm-hmm. look different than that. And, and as I you know, speak to my colleagues and, and educate others about this, I say, look, sex at 40 doesn't look the same as it did at 20, thank God. And <laughs> sex at 60 doesn't look at the same as it did at 40 and sex at 80 doesn't okay. look the same as it did at 60. So we may have workarounds that we need to consider as we have health conditions and we age. Okay, great, great. Um, just one more question. Um, I know you do a lot of research. Can you share anything about anything you're working on with menopause in general or uh, menopause and how it affects our sex lives? Uh, we are doing a lot of uh, a lot of research. We have a paper coming out about a history of endometriosis and sexual function, a history of childhood adversity and sexual function. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a couple of studies with that. We have one study coming out on the impact of menopause symptoms in the workplace. Um, so we we have a lot of good things coming out. Wow, that, that's good. No, you were you were you, you made me. Re- 
uh, recalled an interview I had a number of years ago. Um, I was in the waiting room, um, waiting for the, the, the guy to come out, you know, call me into his office. So I get in his office and I'm sitting there and I just, I have a major, major, major hot flash and I'm just sweating profusely. And I, and I told him it happened to be in Florida in the summertime, you know, it's hot out here anyway. Anyway, so I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so hot. This weather is something else. <laughs> and I always wonder to this day, did he know, he probably knew that I was having a hot flash probably, right? Well, he should have volunteered to help you with your menopause <laughs> symptoms, I guess, right? Thank you. Thank you. So I'm, I'm so happy to hear that you guys are looking at that with the menopause symptoms in the workplace because it, yeah. it can impact, impact you there. All right. Do you have anything else you want to add that we didn't cover? Well, I would just say, you know, for women who are struggling with sexual health concerns um, if during menopause, after menopause, really whenever, um, there, there are things that we can do. And so suffering in silence is not the answer. Uh, there are plenty of solutions. And so really um, bring it up with your healthcare professional. And if your healthcare professional isn't comfortable dealing with it, there are a lot of um, practitioners out there who are and who are educated on this. And so just know that, you know, the answer is not to do nothing if something's bothering you. Perfect, perfect. So menopause.org is a good place to go um, mm -hmm. to locate a provider who's educated in menopause uh, mm -hmm. specifically. Um, so there, there are um, lots of good resources out there. Mayoclinic.org has a lot of good information as well. And so you can find a, a NAM certified, so North American Menopause Society certified practitioner. Mm -hmm. So they have to go through some education and take an examination to, to have such a designation. And so that gives you some reassurance that that person has some knowledge about menopause. Nice. Very nice. So much information. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you, Dr. Stephanie S. Fabian. That's who we've been talking to. She's the medical director of the North American Menopause, Menopause Society, or NAMS. She's also professor and chair of the Department of, of Medicine at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. Thanks for doing what you do. And thank you so much again for coming on our show. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You have been listening to the Ageless Glamour Girls podcast, where we talk all things aging, the beautiful, the challenging, the liberating, all of this on this wonderful, wonderful journey. If you have an idea for the podcast, or if you want to be a guest on the show, email us at info at ageless.glamourgirls.com. That's info at ageless.glamourgirls.com. And don't forget to check out the Ageless Cafe on Facebook. That's Ageless Glamour Girls chat arm. We would love to hear from you. Be sure to follow us and like us on your favorite podcasting platform. And of course, spread the wealth. We love that. I'm Marquita Curtis-Haynes, founder and CEO of the lifestyle brand, Age of the Glamour Girls. Thank you for joining us. We're so glad you are here. Here's to healthy aging and joyful living. We'll see you again real soon. Thanks. Bye-bye for now.